Morning, everyone. It is so good to be here. I uh, have had a difficult week. I'm sure I'm not the only one. It's been very busy, and I've had very sick children at home, and fevers going around, and I tell you, it is only because of prayer and God's protection over me that I am not sick. Everybody else in my family has this flu, so praise the Lord. I am here, and I have a voice, and I get to baptize two of my friends after this. It is a good day. So as you know, we've been looking at the book of Acts, the gospel on the ground, spreading from the early church, the first few disciples, to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's what Acts is all about. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, Pastor Brian has walked us through a few of the examples that Luke, the author of Acts, gives for us, both good and bad examples of how to follow Jesus. We looked at Acts chapter 5, where we saw Barnabas' generosity, selling lands and bringing the money to the apostles, versus Ananias and Sapphira, this couple who deceived and um, kept back part of the money. Then we looked at Philip, his example of interacting with uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, and then this sorcerer, uh, Simon the sorcerer, who wanted to try and buy the Holy Spirit for his own personal gain. That was in Acts chapter 8. Today, we're going to come to what I think is the prime example in Scripture of how to follow Jesus, and that's the Apostle Paul. This is the story of his conversion in Acts chapter 9. It's an exciting chapter. Paul has this conversion story like no other. So those 12 apostles who were with Jesus and followed him around and got to hear him teach and journey with him, they slowly, slowly, slowly over time came to realize who Jesus was, and that whole process for them wasn't even finished until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit finally came and indwelt those disciples and they received the power to witness. But Paul, on the other hand, he literally is confronted by the resurrected Jesus like a bolt of lightning. And his whole life changes in one instant. His whole worldview just crumbles with one sentence, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And we're going to read that exciting story today, but I want us to be clear that it's not this dramatic conversion itself that we hope to emulate as Jesus' disciples. We don't need to have a dramatic, sudden, emotional connection or encounter with Jesus in order to follow him faithfully. What we need to do is to follow Paul's example in testifying over and over to what he saw and heard. He tells this story of how Jesus changed his life over and over again. Every city he goes to, every synagogue that would have him, every table where he sat enjoying a meal with someone, he tells this story. Three times in Acts, this story of Paul's conversion is told in full, with a few different details here and there. As You know, when you're telling a story, you remember different bits and pieces as you tell it. But in Acts chapter 9, which we're going to read today, it's told by the narrator of Acts, by Luke. And then Paul himself tells this whole story again in Acts 22 and Acts 26. I would encourage you to read those later today or later this week and compare those three versions of the story because each one just has a little bit something different to, uh, to teach us. Every time that it's told, the, there's a progressively fuller explanation of Paul's call, his mission that was given to him by God. And that call and that mission is summed up pretty well for us by Jesus in Acts 1 verse 8. 
If you've been participating in one of the studies called The Gospel on the Ground by Christy McClelland, you will know that Acts 1.8 is our key verse for the book of Acts. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what Acts is about. Disciples of Jesus telling others what they'd witnessed and spreading that gospel on the ground all around the world. And that verse is our calling as well. We are Christ's witnesses to Canada in the 21st century, to White Rock and South Surrey. That mission to spread the gospel has not changed. And we are called to speak of what we've experienced, testifying to the fact that Jesus is alive and he is at work right here in our own personal lives. We may not have a story like Paul, but if we are here and worshiping Jesus, then it's because we have experienced something that has convinced us that Jesus is alive. And so that something, that experience is what we need to be telling others about. What have you experienced? But let's read what happened to Paul first, and then we can get into how each of us can follow his example today. Don't be confused by the fact that he's actually called Saul in this chapter. Um, In Acts 13, verse 9, it tells us that Saul was also called Paul, not because God changed his name or anything, but because he had a Hebrew name and a Latin name, and when he became a missionary to the Gentiles, he went by his Latin name, Paul. So we're going to put Acts 9, verses 1 to 20 on screen, and if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can follow along with us. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is, Christians, I guess they were being known as the way right now, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I want to pause here for a second. I find it just incredible and kind of sadly hilarious that Saul has to ask, Who are you, Lord? Who else but Jesus could it be, really? Jesus had claimed to be God's son, and all of these disciples that Saul had been persecuting and putting to death had claimed that Jesus was Lord, and some of them said, I've seen him with my own eyes. And yet, Saul didn't believe them. He thought that they were lying or blaspheming or delusional, but some little part of him must have always wondered if what they were saying could be true. Why would they be dying to maintain a lie? And so when Saul actually tells this story again in Acts 26, he adds one more sentence to what Jesus says here. Uh, Apparently Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so I take that to mean that the Holy Spirit was pricking Saul's conscience for quite a while before this. And Saul had been fighting it. Deep, deep down, he knew there was that possibility that he might be wrong. And so I can only imagine this sense of heart-dropping dread that Saul 
must have felt as he asked, who are you, Lord? He knew what the answer was going to be, but he needed to hear it with his own ears. This poor guy, really, don't you feel for him? This was without a doubt the worst moment of his life. He thought that he had been serving God. He thought he was doing the right thing. And yet he had been doing the exact opposite. The other thing that's important about this section is that Jesus emphasizes twice that Saul has been persecuting him. Not persecuting his disciples or his church or his children, but persecuting him. And the scriptures refer to the church as Christ's body, and that's more than just a metaphor. Because when we suffer, Jesus suffers. He dwells within us by the Holy Spirit, and so he willingly goes through everything that we go through. He feels our pain, and he identifies with us in that. He carries our burdens with us. I think that can give us a lot of comfort when we're suffering, because we know God is not standing just far off, allowing bad things to happen to us. We're caught in the middle of this spiritual battle, and Satan is attacking God by hurting us. It's the only way he can hurt God, because God has no challengers. Sometimes we might think that Satan and God are representing equal and opposing forces of good and evil. That's just not true. Satan is one of God's created beings, and he's infinitely lesser than God. He's a rebellious brat. He's not God's equal. And so he can't hurt God directly, so what does he do? He hurts the people that God loves. And if we can understand this, then we can take our suffering a little bit less personally and refuse to blame God for it. How much more do you think it must hurt God when we blame him for what sin and Satan have done? God is on our side, and when we're suffering, he's suffering. He suffers even more, just like a parent suffers whenever their child is hurting. So Jesus, I think, actually goes pretty easy on Saul here, because he knows that Saul was just Satan's pawn. He was deceived by Satan into thinking that wrong was right. Saul was sincere. He really thought he was doing God's will. He really thought he was defending the true faith. And so Jesus doesn't say, Saul, how dare you oppose me? Now you're going to be judged. He just says, why are you doing this? And then he says, now you're going to be my servant. He gives him this new identity as a chosen instrument to proclaim his name. What an incredible offer, right? Jesus says, instead of being my enemy, you can be my right-hand man in bringing the gospel to all nations. You've got the kind of boldness that I need. Now, obviously, it's going to take Saul a little bit of time to process this and recover from the complete reversal of everything that he has believed and held to be true. So let's read what happens next there. Verse 7. The man traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Just note, the other Ananias, the one from chapter 5, he died. This is a different Ananias, different city too. So the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. 
The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So pause there again. Here we have another man realizing his understanding of things was wrong. Ananias thought Saul was his enemy. And I love how he tells God as if God didn't know all the terrible things that Saul had been doing. He says, God, I don't think you realize who this man is. But Jesus responds, I know who he is. You don't know who he is. You think he's your enemy. He's actually one of the leaders of the church. It's just neither of you know it yet. And God's plan is always so surprising, isn't it? It's bigger and better than we can even imagine. So Ananias obeys. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I love this so much. Both Saul and Ananias understood their assignment. Ananias accepts that God knows better than he does, and even though Saul has done nothing but ruin the lives of other believers, Ananias goes to him and calls him brother. That took a lot of faith to believe that this murderer was going to start behaving like a brother in Christ. But Ananias believed God. He took God at his word and he treated Saul like a brother and he healed him before Saul had done anything at all to deserve that. And Saul, as soon as he can see again, goes out and humiliates himself by preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Imagine the courage that it took for him to go out and publicly state, listen everyone, I was wrong and everyone that I hated was right. Imagine having to do that. Other people may have wished they had a testimony like Paul's. They wish they could meet Jesus face to face and have this dramatic turnaround from a life of sin. They think, well, then I'd have something to talk about. Then I could be a witness because then uh, it would be so easy to share my testimony. But I don't think it was easy. Paul had to tell everyone about the very worst moment of his life over and over again. The education to become a Pharisee that he had worked so hard for, the religious laws that he had carefully followed all of his life, all of the things that he sacrificed for God and the reasons that he had to be proud of himself, all that was dust and were now reasons to be ashamed. His self-image would have been in the gutter, right? He knew that he was, and he actually calls himself this, the worst of sinners. I want to read for you something that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. You can turn there if you like, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
starting at verse 12. Paul is reflecting on his conversion, and he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Saul lived the rest of his life for the honor and the glory of the God who had had mercy on him. He never stopped telling this story about the worst moment of his life, even though it would have been a painful reminder every time. So if we have a less painful story, well then hallelujah! Shouldn't we be all the more eager to tell others what Jesus has done in our lives? All those little moments when Jesus has encouraged you or changed you or guided you, given you peace, provided for you, strengthened you in a difficult situation, all those sins that you struggle with that he has forgiven, all those poor choices you've made that he has redeemed for a good purpose. We all have plenty of things that we can say about God at work in our lives if we take a moment to think about it. Every person's story is going to be different, right? The way that God has worked in my life is not the same as the way he's worked in your life. My testimony is going to encourage and convict different people than yours will. And so God needs all of us to tell our stories with boldness so that every person can hear from someone that they relate to about why following Jesus is worth it. All of us are called to be witnesses, not just career missionaries and not just the Apostle Paul. So, as I said before, in Acts 22 and 26, we get a little more about this story and a little more about Paul's calling as a witness. And I would just want to read those few sections because his calling is really just a more personal wording of the call that is for everybody to make disciples of all nations. So in Acts 22, it adds a little bit to what Ananias said to Paul. 22, starting at verse 14. Then Ananias said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. So that question that confronts us today is, what have you seen and heard? What has your experience been? You are called to be a witness, to tell of what God has done in your life, to tell your story. And you don't have to know the Bible to do that. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be able to answer theological questions. All you have to do is tell why you believe in Jesus, what has happened to you. And God is going to use that. Then in Acts 26, we get a little bit more of what Jesus said to Paul in the middle of the road. So Jesus said, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's why we tell our stories, so that others can turn to the light and be saved. If we love God, then we're going to love the people that God loves, which is all of us. He made all of us. And we're going to want people to experience God's goodness the way that we have. Why would we want to keep that to ourselves? That would be selfish. But a lot of times we don't want to tell our stories because they're very personal. Saul's story was very personal for him. And there's a lot of shame involved sometimes. To tell people what God has done for us means we have to tell about the times that we were broken, the times that we were unworthy, the times that we were completely unable to help ourselves, and Jesus saved us. And so sometimes telling about the worst moment of our life, the way that Paul had to. I have so many stories that I could tell you about Jesus working in my life. He has provided for me in really unexpected ways. He has healed me from some deep depression. He has changed my heart towards my husband and saved our marriage. He has guided me to this role as a pastor that I never thought that I would have. And I would love to tell you more details about any, all of that. But today, I want to give the spotlight to the two women who are going to be baptized, Darlene and Janie. They have each met Jesus recently in different ways, and they've become convinced that Jesus is alive, and he's calling them, calling them to follow him. And they've been brave enough to record a little bit of their story on video for us, and I know that they would love to tell you more in person after the service. They're witnesses that Jesus' love is real and that Jesus is at work right here in our church and in White Rock and South Surrey. He's changing hearts and lives all around us. And so in a few minutes, we're going to hear from them and celebrate with them. But uh, during the next song that we're going to sing, I want you to think about what story it is that you have to tell. What have you seen and heard? Who can you share that story with, even this week? So let's pray together first that we would see and hear even more of Jesus in our lives and have the courage that we need to tell those stories as often as we can. Lord, thank you for the incredible way that you met Paul, changed his life, and gave him boldness to tell the story over and over. Lord, we have met you. Many of us have met you multiple times in different ways in our lives. We've seen you at work. We've witnessed what you are doing. And we give you thanks for those things, Lord. But may we not stop at just giving thanks. May we open our mouths to tell someone else who needs to know that Jesus is real, that he changes lives, that he makes a difference, that he heals, that he forgives, that he brings wholeness and peace and joy when nothing else can. Lord, convince us when we struggle with our own doubts. May we see others and witness what you're doing in their lives and be convinced all over again. Jesus, would you just bless Darlene and Janie today as they follow you through baptism, and would you bless their stories as they tell them to family and friends. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.